Hello, listener, and welcome to Straight Shot Health Talk. This is the podcast that provides honest and straightforward information about health, wellness, and how to survive our crazy healthcare system. This is for people who want to focus on getting well instead of just treating symptoms. Sound like you? Then let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. This is your host, Dr. Kevin. And we have a wonderful guest today who is actually returning from a previous episode, one of the most popular episodes we did. Um, God, it must have been about 10 episodes ago with, with Dr. Dan Ritchie. And for those of you who weren't with us on that episode, Dr. Ritchie has a broad background in the fitness industry. There's a lot of training and management for both commercial and university hospital-based fitness programs. Um, his primary areas of expertise, though, are personal training for special populations, and specifically for this episode and for the past episode, was with those people who are a little bit older than the than uh, what most exercise programs are out there for. So if you kind of look at the fitness industry and you look at those commercials that advertise all those crazy exercise programs on the TV, they tend to seem a younger audience, you know, in your 30s, 20s, maybe even in the 40s. But what Dr. Ritchie has really done is, is look specifically at people over the age of 50, age of 55, going up into the 70s and 80s, and developed exercise programs for them so that they can continue to move, continue to stay healthy, well past um, what a lot of other exercise programs do. Now, what we had discussed on that last episode, though, was the connection between exercise and fitness and dementia, particularly things like Alzheimer's disease, which is the most common form of, of dementia. And so those of you who may not know, which I don't think is a lot of us, um, Alzheimer's is the most common form of dementia in the United States. It's also the sixth leading cause of death in the United States. And what Alzheimer's is, and dementia in general, is a difficulty with memory. So early symptoms with Alzheimer's disease is you can't uh, remember new information. You start forgetting people's names, forgetting where you put, put things, where your car keys are, etc. And over time, it starts getting worse and worse and worse. Now, what's important about Alzheimer's disease is that there is no cure. And in reality, most of the medical therapies, remember the three medical therapies that we have, cutting, poking, and drugging, don't work well for Alzheimer's disease. There are some diseases or some medications that we prescribe for Alzheimer's diseases. And overall, the effects that they have are very, very mild to negligible. In fact, they may be able to show that they de delay some of the memory loss for maybe six months, but not much more than that. So really the key with Alzheimer's disease is prevention uh, and to maintain your brain function um, before you develop it. Or if you do develop uh, some mild dementia, is to not give up and start exercising frequently and using that brain. And uh, to talk a little bit more about this, Here's Dr. Ritchie. Dan, great to have you back on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This is going to be fun. Yes, yes. So um, we just talked a little bit about your background because I think you did some research on dementia and exercise in the past. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. When I was in uh, grad school at Purdue uh, completing my Ph.D., I actually was part of a, a pretty large study on uh, severe uh, dementia Alzheimer's type in a, actually in a lockdown wing at a couple of facilities where we're talking about people that, um, you know, they're, they're pretty far advanced and, uh, and the researchers were curious, you know, will exercise benefit them? Mm -hmm. uh, will it have any impact uh, in terms of their daily lives, their quality of life and, and that sort of thing? And uh, we actually were uh, thrilled to get it published in uh, one of the major publications, uh, Alzheimer's and Disease and Disorders, and, uh, and, and that was really cool. So, in fact, the, the interesting thing is the the grant um, agency, I think, which gave us a grant of 
50 or 100,000. It was a very large study. Uh, one of the initial reviewers said this will never work, uh, <laughs> not not possible to work, and, and rejected the grant initially. And then uh, with a second submission, they were able to get the funding. And uh, and I was one of the leaders of the, the exercise program in the um, facilities. We did it in two facilities here in West Lafayette and Lafayette, Indiana. And we had a number of undergraduate students as well and uh, it was it was really quite an eye-opening experience for me to see one what dementia does to people uh, late in life and the advanced stages of Alzheimer's but then two just just the amount of impact that a 12-week exercise program could have on these people's quality of life and and just kind of their well-being was was really phenomenal yeah that that's um I'm gonna I want to come back to two things on there but the first one is just the emotional impact of the disease for People who have not uh, dealt with people who have severe dementia, severe Alzheimer's disease, it is absolutely devastating. And we commonly talk about diseases like cancer, heart disease, heart attacks, et cetera. Um, but I would, I would wager in a lot of ways that, that dementia is, is worse. Um, when you see your loved ones decline, when they can't remember who you are, um, it, it is unbelievably challenging and there's actually quite a few studies on the caregivers of people with Alzheimer's disease and how their health gets affected as well that would be a topic for another episode here but what yeah I, <laughs> I mean it, it, there is it's it's pretty dramatic um, uh, but for for the purposes of today Dan is um, you know first I want to know what were the what were the results that you saw with this severe Alzheimer's disease population again guys out there this is a, a population that um, is so difficult it, you get to a point with Alzheimer's, you almost you just really can't take care of them at home well. Uh, it becomes almost a risk to the family members. So when they go into these these um, uh, nursing facilities to get around the clock, Claire, care it can be very difficult. And, and I'm really curious what kind of results that you saw. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean that is a it's a valid point because I know some people here, uh, you know, lockdown facilities, and they think, wow, we're we're putting people with dementia. In facilities and nobody's taking care of them and and the reality is it's it's impossible uh, at at the late stages for a family member to take care of these people because they don't know who their family member is in fact they can get violent towards their family member um, because they they don't know who this person is you know it's a stranger in their home uh, and so it, it it becomes not only emotionally exhausting but literally physically impossible because the person won't let you care for them uh, won't let you bathe them dress them do any of these things you need to do um, and so, you know, we went into facilities where people, they didn't know their name from Monday to Wednesday, and they didn't know who we were from Monday to Wednesday. And so literally every time we'd show up for an exercise session, it was like starting over, you know. And so we had to really come up with programs where we realized, okay, we're essentially teaching these exercises all over on Wednesday. That They don't remember having done these on Monday. Um, and so it really was an interesting phenomenon. And and what we had to record was which participants actually followed the exercises, would perform the exercises, which participants wouldn't because some participants wouldn't be compliant. They simply wouldn't participate. You know, they'd walk out of the room or they'd fall asleep in their chair, um, the whole range of the spectrum. But, but the amazing thing we saw was people moving better, um, people having less difficulty with their nurse caregivers in terms of going to the bathroom, getting in and out of bed, um, but, but the biggest thing, I think, was even the physicians were surprised with the change in what they call positive affect. And so uh, it's essentially your mental mood uh, has shifted. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people with dementia, especially severe, 
have very negative mood because they're not getting positive stimulus. They're not getting positive activities because they either can't perform them, they can't exercise, and so they become a, a very depressed often. Um, in fact, one of the physician's comments was, I don't think I've ever heard this one patient speak, and she actually cracked a joke, laughed at it, and understood it. Um, and he found it funny, you know, so he said it was sort of like this, per this person three weeks ago wouldn't even, you know, have any communication with me. Now they're actually, they have a, they're showing a sense of humor. Um, and to him, that was just amazing, you know, because it was sort of like, wow, it was sort of like somewhere in there, we found a little bit of this person's personality and sense of humor. Um, and then even just, um, demeanors of people uh, was one of the big things that was reported as, as changing, you know, and so it's a small thing, but when we talk about quality of life and, and taking care of people at the end of life, um, you know, to, to have somebody in just a little bit better state of mind, a little bit better mood, even if they don't understand exactly what's happening, um, it really was a powerful thing. And to say, hey, we can care better for these people with severe dementia by giving them physical activity, uh, they're going to be able to get out of their chair better, get off the toilet better, they're going to fall less, um, they're going to be in a better mood, uh, even if they don't know who they are, where they are, why they are in the facility they're in. Um, so that, that really was, was kind of the big, the big thing. And, and it really, at the time, was, was kind of a groundbreaking study because nobody thought you could do anything with the severe dementia, the folks that are in lockdown wards. And, and they're in lockdown wards because they will wander off. You know, they, they can't stay at home anymore because they will leave home and get lost uh, because they don't know where they are uh, or where they even belong to be. And so, so that, was, that was really pretty rewarding to see that we could, in a small way, make a, a difference in, in these people's quality of life uh, in their final, for many of them, in their final months. Yeah, no, and that's, that's impressive. And I think what that brings up um, an interesting point, particularly for me, that it, that positive as, uh, affect. So positive affect is, you know, uh, the happiness, the cheerfulness, um, thing, things positively. And I, I talk a lot about on Straight Shot Health Talk about how the brain affects the body, like the mental attitude you have, the expectations that you have going into treatments. Um, but this is a great example of how the body affects the brain. Because when you have a population that doesn't remember, is you can't you can't tell them, hey, think happy thoughts or think positive or uh, think good things right. about the future. This is this is an example of of using when you you're exercising the body is how that is going to affect that positive mental space and how the you know and there's a host of different factors that could be involved in here. You know, we're talking about endorphins and all that stuff, yep. but you know that yep. that's just impressive and it just it just sort of emphasizes again that again i talk about on the show a lot about how the brain affects the body but the body itself that behaviors and the exercise and the things we do affects the brain um yes now uh i had something else in there that i really want to hit it oh yeah so with the program then you know again i want to i'm going to move this towards people who don't have severe alzheimer's a little bit here but for this because i think it makes an important point is when you are taking this population then and you're basically reteaching them every every session the same exercises uh what kind of exercises were they doing because this must be i would assume a very simple specific exercise program for them to do yes very simple uh very what you would call mimic or repetitive focus so we're trying to get them to just copy movements that we're doing in front of them 
primarily chair-based um, for, for safety and for the fact that a lot of them are, are very chair-based at this stage in the disease. And so simple things like, you know, moving your feet, you know, toe, toe taps and marching in place and, you know, raising your arms and, and, you know, flapping your wings and, you know, punching and reaching out, you know, and, you know, all, all kinds of simple calisthenic type movements you know, that maybe some of these people would have done, you know, when they were, you know, in their 20s. Um, but the very simple things and, and, and simple things to mimic, you know, just do what I'm doing, do what you see me doing in front of you, you know, move your arms, move your legs, um, very simple movement patterns um, that um, aren't complex. You know, the, the challenging thing is just getting compliance. Um, but but overall, it was it was really very, very effective. And and you know, you, I mean, you you mentioned that it's the sixth leading cause of death. Uh, what, what we're actually seeing, Kevin, is that it's um, one of the diseases that is actually making the baby boom generation not want to live as old as their parents, mm-hmm. because they're seeing the ravages of this, and they're saying, "I would rather die at 80 or 85 than have to get Alzheimer's late in life," because it's very painful to watch someone go through this. Um, and it's very painful to have your parent no longer know who you are, you know, and it's, it's certainly painful to watch your, your father deal with your mother go through this or your mother deal with your father go through this and, and the, the pain that, that goes with it when um, you get to the point where you can't take care of the person uh, because they don't know who you are anymore. Uh, and it is a painful, painful disease to watch someone suffer through. Oh, yeah. No, and, and uh, but I, I, that brings up, God, there's so many points. You know, every time we have these discussions, I think about a hundred different things to talk about. It's just, <laughs> well, you'll just have to have me on again. Oh That's yeah, fine. yeah. No, I, I I love it because right now I'm I'm like I have so many questions for you. You know, but but uh, you you touched on one was, um, you know, the baby boomers expecting or or not wanting to live as long, and and it's it's important to remember that that Alzheimer's is not guaranteed, right? I mean, so the people right. run out there and they're like, well, I'm going to get this. Well, no, it may be the most common form of dementia, but what when, when I hear that, there's two ways you can either go. You can either go, oh, woe is me. I'm going to, I just want to die early, you know, you know, live hard and die young or whatever, because I don't want to get there. But the other part right. about it is we know, and we're talking about it today, what helps to prevent or, or to decrease the effects of Alzheimer's. And that's one of the things is exercise. And so rather than saying, I don't want to live as long, how about this? Let's focus more on our health so that we can live a long and fruitful life. Um, and so I, th- I think that's just important for people to remember is, is yes, there are these things happen, but a lot of people get in these genetics. It's like, oh, well, you know, my father had that or I, I got this genetic test and it says I, I may have a risk of this factor. But genetics are not they don't predetermine anything. It's just a risk. Right. right? I call them the cracks right. in the wall. And you can either work on strengthening the wall around that crack and making sure it's strong or you can just wait until the crack bursts. And uh, I, don't, I don't think that's a positive way to do it. But, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a great point, though. And um I think this generation in particular is, is we see that so much more taking care of parents and things. Now, what I really wanted to go back to, though, before we was those this chair based exercises. So how long were these sessions then? Um, typically, they were about 30 minutes. Okay. Um, we, we would plan for an hour um, because it would often take anywhere between 10 to 15 minutes to get everyone either out of their room or out of their activities, sort of all organized. Um, and then we would, we would attempt to exercise uh, for 30 minutes. Um, and when I say attempt to exercise for 30 minutes, you, you have to keep in mind some exercises 
might be designed to do for a minute or two, but we might do that exercise for three or four minutes because it would take anywhere from one to two minutes to get some of the people participating. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this isn't your typical exercise program where we move from one exercise to the next at a consistent pace. You know, it's sort of like, hey, everybody's doing this exercise really well. Let's stick with it for a minute or two. And so um, so typically about 30 minutes of actual um, exercise time um, but a lot of times it took us almost an hour to administer that in terms of getting everyone situated and then by the time we were finished getting everybody back to where they, they needed to be. Um, so it, it, it wasn't so much about the time. Um, you know, 20 to 30 minutes is, is very effective, and, and that's the sort of exercise I you know recommend for, for people of all ages. So similar kind of recommendations. Um, you know, keep in mind these people weren't doing anything overly intense you know, so the, the 30 minutes, they might have actually done 15 minutes of, of total work. Yeah, and um, that's great. So basically is if you, you didn't have severe dementia, this is this is a sort of protocol that you could do in a chair. You know, you're not, you know, some people talk about movement and they have hips and knee issues or whatever, but you can do it in a chair. And if you would just crank through it, it may take, you said, 15 minutes. And um, that's helpful. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no doubt small bouts of exercise, even four to five minute bouts of exercise are helpful and protective in a number of, of facets. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know that we want to get into the discussion of, you know, four minutes versus 10 minutes versus 20 minutes. Um, but it, it does, it does tell me and the research is showing that everyone listening today does not have an excuse because they're too busy or they don't have time, right? I mean, like, literally, you could be exercising right now listening to this interview. You could exercise for five to 10 minutes um, and get something uh, protective and productive out of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the big mistake people make is, oh, well, I don't have an hour to go to the gym. Well, who needs an hour to go to the gym? Do 10 to 15 minutes of something, uh, and that can have a significant impact on your health. Yeah, yeah, no, and and um, you know, that's that's perfect because it is. We we tend to make excuses. We hear something like, "Well, they're they say we need to do 150 minutes of exercise per week." If true or not, you know. But when more or something is better than nothing, and four minutes yep. is better than no minutes. And uh, you know, God, I, I tell people that if you're sitting at a TV or if you are a TV watcher, get up when there's a commercial and do something. Right. You know, yeah, this yeah. Is... <laughs> I mean, I, I tell people just just think of it as a statistical curve, right? Like you don't want to be in the bottom half of the most sedentary people. And, and we know in the U.S. our country is way, way, way too sedentary. About 70% of people report very little physical activity whatsoever. And as people get older, it gets worse. The, the statistics get worse when people get over 65 in terms of their physical activity. And so I tell people, look, if you just exercise 10 to 15 minutes a day, you're going to be in the top third in terms of physical activity. And so when we look at the health statistics related to, you know, all kinds of diseases and mortality, um, you don't want to be in the sedentary category. So get off your chair, get off the couch, do something for, for 15 minutes a day, and you will be in the top half instead of the bottom half. <laughs> yeah, very true. So let's let's shift a little bit from severe Alzheimer's and, and go to maybe just an aging population. Maybe someone's having some mild difficulty with with uh, remembering things. Um, are there any specific exercise regimens you would recommend for them? Yes. Um, 
as people as people get older, um, they they need to start engaging their brain with new activities. And uh, what the research is showing is complex movement patterns, things like dancing, for example. Uh, actually, your brain will be stimulated by that, and you'll actually increase a lot of brain activity by doing that sort of movement. So. Sometimes people say, oh, well, I exercise, and and I ask, well, what does that mean? And they say, well, I take a walk. Mm -hmm. Well, our our brain activity when we're walking is is pretty dormant. In fact, I I would argue that you can almost go to sleep while you're walking because your brain is so used to that movement, right? There's nothing new, nothing complex, Um, you know, unless you're walking down a busy street having to dodge traffic or something, your brain is just simply not engaged. So you want to look for exercise and movement patterns that force your brain to do complex activities. And so this is why we recommend so many different functional movement circuits because people have to do essentially lots of different complex movement patterns like you would do as a kid does on the playground, right? So hopping, skipping, jumping, changing directions, you know, stepping over things, stepping around things, you know, it's sort of like exploratory movement. Uh, your brain now has to relearn all these different movement patterns, and that's been shown in research to be really positive um, for brain activity. And so just going for a walk or just going for a bike ride is not going to be as effective when we're talking about maintaining or improving cognitive function as something like dancing um, or, you know, doing a complex movement pattern, um, you know, whether it's at home, at the park, or in the gym. You want to make sure your brain is being stimulated. So I tell a lot of people that we train when they say, why are we doing all these crazy movement patterns? And I say, well, it's, it's sort of like gym class when you were six years old, and your brain lays down new movement patterns. In fact, if you study kids, you, you see at a certain age, kids can't hop on two feet, or they can't hop on one foot, and then their brain learns that movement pattern. They can't skip, or they can't gallop, and then they eventually learn that movement pattern. Well, we want to do all that same sort of thing when you're older, and we want your brain to be laying down new movement patterns and, and stimulating your brain to, to grow. And so um, when you think about exercise, just make sure you're not doing the same thing all the time. If you're just walking or just bike riding or just swimming, your brain really isn't getting much protective benefit from that. Now, how often are you switching up the routines for people? Are you doing it every session or are you doing it, you know, every two sessions or every week, two weeks, month, you know, or something like that? Yeah, great question. So we at our facility here training clients, we switch it up every session. Um, when I design programs like in our book and our online program, we typically tell people to switch it up every week to two weeks um, just so they're consistently getting changes um, so that they're, they're essentially throwing new stimulus at, at their brain uh, and at their body and their ability to move all the time, which forces your brain to have to respond. Oh, I, I have to learn a new movement pattern. And a lot of older clients get frustrated because they're like, I, I know when I was in high school I could do karaoke, and now I can't. And they have to relearn that movement pattern, which means they're going to have to retrain their brain. Their brain's going to have to grow to be able to do some of these complex movements. So we're always trying to keep people off balance. Uh, in fact, we're trying to keep them out of what we would call a routine and, and constantly be throwing new things at them. Hmm. And, and the other part about that, which, which which sort of alluded to when you were talking about balance, I know that you're, you're meaning more about just the balance and the, the not getting used to the same program, but um, do you ever do anything with balance then as well? I mean, actual physical balance, keeping people stable on their feet, balance exercises, et cetera, so that they're developing those proprioceptive information from their body to their brain? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, actually what I did my PhD dissertation research on, and uh, and what what we found uh, over 20 years of research now is that uh, a lot of balance issues are are very cognitive related, um, and and simply our brain needs to be retrained. You know, uh, as we get older, we do less and less complex movements, right? We we walk to the car, we walk to the mailbox, we walk through the grocery store. We don't do lots of complex movement patterns, and then all of a sudden, when it's the middle of the night and we have to step over a curb, and all of a sudden we're on a grassy, you know, area instead of the sidewalk, and our our balance isn't stable. Our, our brain uh, can't handle all the stimulus that it's being fed. You know, your your foot is telling it I'm on a soft surface. Your other foot's telling it I'm on a hard surface. I'm stepping down. You know, the muscles in your knees aren't, aren't giving you feedback fast enough and your brain can't handle all that input and you wind up falling down. Yeah. And, and, you, and you recall the story of, I don't know what happened. I, I just, you know, walked out to the mailbox and, and all of a sudden I was on the ground, you know. And, and so we re, retrain people um, with what we call gait pattern enhancement variation. And so we do a lot of different gait patterns. And we enhance them and vary them in a lot of different ways. And a lot of people describe it as all kinds of funny walking. But, you know, we do things like marching and stepping over things and stepping around things. And if you if you can think visually of what it looks like to see a dog peeing on a hydrant, right, he lifts his leg, right? So we do that kind of walking movement, right? Like we do the, you know, raise your leg like you're going to pee on a bush, you know. And so we do all these different kind of movement patterns to retrain our brain so that when we do get in an environment where all of a sudden I'm thrown off balance and I have to step to the right in an odd angle and do these sorts of things, we know how to react to it and our brain can handle that stimulus and not fall down. And we want it to be just sort of a second nature thing. How do I respond to this situation as opposed to, whoa, I got overwhelmed, I'm not sure what to do. Um, in fact, we train people in terms of, you know, what do you do if you're off balance and you're going to fall? Well, you should take a big step. And we actually try to teach people, hey, this is how you react to it. If somebody pushes you in the grocery store, widen your stance, right? Get to a bigger base of support. And so we teach people very quickly. When your feet are close together, you're very vulnerable. You're very easy to knock over. When your feet are wide apart, you're much more stable. So if somebody pushes you off balance, take a big step, widen your stance, spread your feet out. Um, don't react um, with a small step because then you're more likely to fall worse. And so, so these things can be, can be taught, they can be trained, we can retrain our brain to move our bodies more efficiently, and eventually what we want to do is retrain our brain to move it almost subconsciously. And so it's that sort of athletic ability of we just react and move the way we need to move uh, as opposed to having to think about it. And you can regain that, you know, because we have some aging athletes listening to the program here, but that's that's something you can retrain your body to do with age. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I tell people, um, look, we're going to train you like we would train athletes. I don't care if you're 60, 65, or 70, 75, and you have no interest in athletics. We want to make you more athletic. We want to make you move better, make you more coordinated. Uh, and the way we do that is to train all these different movement patterns. And the way we get more coordinated is our brain, our nervous system has to get more attuned to, okay, I'm going to change directions here. I'm going to move to the right. I'm going to move to the left. I'm going to shift. I'm going to step over. I'm going to react. Um, and that means our brain is moving and responding faster um, than it did when we first came in. And so we want you to be more agile, uh, more coordinated, more, better response time. Uh, 
And that's regardless of your age. Now, our, do our 90-year-old clients move as quickly and as well as our 70-year-old clients? No, they don't. Um, but do they move a whole lot better than the average 85-year-old out there? Yes, they absolutely do. In fact, they can do pretty amazing things uh, when you consider uh, a lot of people over 90 aren't moving well at all. Yeah, yeah. But then there's also those 90-year-olds, those exceptions that have maintained their movement and continue to exercise that look better than, I mean, I'm, I've seen 30, 40-year-old people that don't look too good. So, Right. Oh, yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. There are There are people in their 30s and 40s that I'm like, surprised how poorly they move you know it's like this isn't that complex a movement pattern and you know if if uh, an 80 year old can do it uh, but you know unfortunately we we have a a more and more sedentary population and that's why that's why i said earlier just get off your butt and move 10 to 15 minutes and at least you won't be in the bottom half of that statistical curve so if we if we had a uh, uh a, a dementia prevention program that we'll we'll just we'll just create it right now Basically, some movement is better than none, right? Yep. And then we're saying, you know, 15 minutes a day is 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 really all it takes, if if not less than that. Yeah, 15 minutes is sufficient. Okay. Um, the the key is to be adding some complex movement patterns. So, you know, don't don't hear I can just go for a 15 minute walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's really not sufficient to be protective. Um. So. Uh, a varied varied activity so basically different movements when we're saying compound movements your things like um you know squat and move and move legs and arms in different ways uh, like lifting yes. up grocery yep. bags and putting them down and twisting and all that stuff yep okay yeah three what we call three-dimensional human movement patterns so bending twisting reaching stooping lifting you know all those kinds of things we have to do to to move well as a human being those need to be incorporated in your your exercise program that's why Programs like Tai Chi are so effective because they're very three-dimensional human movement, right? You, you see this in, in Asian cultures where they get up and do these things, you know, early in the morning, and, and they move very fluid, and they're moving in all directions, um, you know, their body. And so these are very protective for both our brain uh, and then also our balance and, and just reducing falls as well. And like you mentioned earlier as well, ballroom dancing does a lot of that too. If, if uh... absolutely, yeah, absolutely, Dan- dancing. Actually, they just released a study recently showing dancing is far more effective than many of our traditional exercise programs like walking, running, swimming, biking, um, even traditional strength training. In terms of the amount of brain activity uh, you're getting, because it's very complex movement patterns, right? You have to respond, react, change directions. There's there's thinking involved, right? Like if I go for a walk, my brain really doesn't have to do that much. There's not a whole lot of thinking involved with the exception of maybe, you know, intersections and not getting run over by a car. But if I'm dancing, I have to respond to my partner. I have to respond to the music. I have to respond to other people on the dance floor. I have to change direction. I mean, there's a lot of mental activity going on. And, and, and the research is showing when we're doing physical activity and adding a brain stimulus, we get... Uh, essentially a double protective effect you know so if you are if you do like to walk on the treadmill i encourage people you know get your ipad out or get the paper out do some crossword puzzles or some sudoku or you know some sort of mental game while you're on the treadmill Um, and we're seeing that has a a huge boost in the amount of brain activity you get Uh, because when we're doing exercise we're stimulating a lot of oxygen flow to our brain uh, a lot of that positive affect stuff we talked about, 
And then if you add a cognitive task, um, there's, there's even sort of a, a, a doubling effect of that. And so um, it's really hard to, to go for a walk in the neighborhood and do a crossword puzzle, but you can do that on a, you can do that on a treadmill or a recumbent bike or an elliptical, um, and, and that's really a beneficial thing. Well, and I, I was just thinking, though, because there's people, we have a lot of walkers in our neighborhood, and I, I, I applaud that. I think, you know, we, I, I hope we're not giving the impression to anybody out there that walking is a bad or going out for a walk. No, um, absolutely not. I love walking. Yeah. I think it's great. I just don't want people to think that is protecting them from dementia. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, what, it's protecting. But, I, was, yeah. I was just going to add on there, but, but there's, there's tricks that we could probably do to increase that cognitive activity. So I'm sitting here, well, what would you, what could you do on a walk? Well, you can, you can vary the, what you're walking on, right? You can do the curb, you can maybe be doing grass and things. You can put yep. some hills in there, but you can even add some stuff like uh, looking at the trees and, and, and trying to identify birds, animals, remembering who yep. it was you passed, um, basically engage your brain while you're doing that walk could, um, yep. you know, absolutely. Yeah. If you're, if you're walking with someone, you know, having a stimulating conversation uh, is, is a, an effective thing. If you're walking by yourself, um, you know, then doing some, you know, mind games or, or, you know, brain teasers as you're, you know, solving riddles, you know, doing these, even, even telling yourself a story, um, something that's keeping your brain active uh, while you're walking. Um, now, this doesn't mean you have to do that all the time, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, taking, taking a walk simply for the leisure activity of taking a walk is great. Um, but if we're talking about how do I most protect my brain from dementia, then we want to do some activities where our brain is being stimulated while we're exercising. And so, uh, I like to go for walks just for the sake of going for a walk, literally just to take a break, right? Like sometimes we don't, we don't take enough time letting our brains shut down, right? We just need to relax, right? So, but we also do need to think about doing some movement that has a brain aspect to it. And so, you know, if, if walking is your only form of exercise, then I would just encourage you to figure out how you can incorporate some sort of brain stimulus to it, whether it's solving a puzzle while you walk, thinking about a complex problem, having a deep, thoughtful conversation with someone while you're doing it um, is, is going to add quite a bit of protective benefit in terms of cognitive health. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Well, Dan, I don't want to keep you too long here. We over 30 minutes, and <laughs> as I as as we experienced last time, there we could I could probably talk to you for six hours, I think. Uh, but we will just have to have you back again uh, for all you listeners out there. If there are questions that you have, if this touched on some things, if you have some questions about aging and health and movement and exercise, you send those in, and and uh, maybe we'll we'll get another episode out out of those. Uh, Dan, where can people find you if they want to get some more information about you? Uh, they can find me two places. Um, FunctionalFitnessSolution.com is, is actually our, our training program for people over the age of 45. Uh, we've got clients all around the world uh, where we do a lot of these different functional movement patterns, and they're anywhere from 10 to 20-minute workouts. So that's FunctionalFitnessSolution.com. And then our other uh, place they can find more about me um, and, and my business partner, Cody, and what we're up to would be functionalaginginstitute.com. Uh, and that's really a educational place for people that just want to learn a lot more about fitness and aging uh, or for anyone in the fitness and health industry that says, hey, I want to help people over the age of 50 with their, with their fitness and their, their healthy aging. Well, and, and that could also be if you for listeners out there that are that are already at a gym or are working with some people that they may not feel confident 
or maybe they feel they're they're not offering programs for a uh, population that's over the age of 55, uh, you can mention it to them as well, to your gym, to your trainers, to visit that functionalaginginstitute.com because uh, I've seen it. You guys have some great stuff. You even have training programs for trainers to teach this yep. stuff. Um, and so that's a, that's another way, you know, people, I often think about, well, there's nothing out there in my area on this. Well, if you already have a gym and you're engaged in that gym or you're already going because it's the best that you have, uh, there's an opportunity for you guys to, to tell your, your gyms, your favorite gym people that there are resources out there that they can develop these sorts of programs because the baby boomers are here and it's a huge population and we have either two choices. We can either design programs that help us all live long, healthy lives or we can just ignore it, in which case we're going to bankrupt healthcare because we just won't be able to pay for all the care that's going to be required. So, yeah, yeah that's exactly right. That's yeah, exactly right. Great resource. Well, all right, Dan, um, thank you so much. And uh, any last words for the for the listeners here? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would just close with um, you know, dementia, Alzheimer's type is a is a scary thing. It's a devastating disease, but it's not like you said earlier. It's not a destiny. And, uh, you know, in, in our protocols, we talk about never growing old. And uh, we, we really believe people can live really, really well to 100. And they, that means they don't have to succumb to dementia, Alzheimer's. Um, but there are some things people need to do. And, uh, and they're, they're simple. Um, they're, they're not exhausting. They're not time-consuming. Um, and so I, I don't want people to come away thinking, oh, my goodness, I don't want to live past 80 because I don't want the dreaded Alzheimer's. That, that's simply not your destiny. Um, in fact, it's very preventable. It's very um, avoidable if, if you, you take care of yourself. So uh, I'll leave you with that, and thanks so much for having me. All right. Thank you so much, Dan. Everybody else, stay well. <laughs> 